Our scripture passage this morning from Matthew 12. At the time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests and the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He went on from there and entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. As you find your seat, let's pray together. Our Father and our God, this morning, we look to you. Lord, together we profess we want to please you. We want to honor you. We want to worship you. We want to trust you. We want our beings and our words and our living to honor you. And Lord, we're very aware that we need your help. And so we're going to look to your word because your word is truth, and we're going to look to your word because you speak through your word, and we're going to look to your word because you carry out your gracious actions toward us through your spirit and through your word. So we're hopeful, oh God. We're hopeful that you would work. We're hopeful that you would give us strength. We're hopeful that you would fill us with faith. We're hopeful that you would change our desires to be the things which you desire. We're hopeful that you would make us a people who honor you in all that we do. So Lord, on this morning, symbolizing what we call a new year, I want to pray over this congregation.
Would you bring all of us to a real saving faith in your son, Jesus? Would you cause all of us to truly live by faith in Christ, to truly trust Christ for all things? Lord, I'm praying over this congregation in this new year that faith would not be a buzzword, but it would be a reality because you're at work among us. Lord, would you purify us and revive us and embolden us and use us Build your kingdom through us, we pray. Lord, we are pleading this in the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Amen. Friends, thanks for being with us this morning. Um, If you haven't done so already, please grab a Bible and turn to the book of Matthew chapter 12. If you're visiting today, there are some Bibles under the chairs in front of you. Here at Redeemer, we're working our way through uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And like all of the Gospels, this book was written so that we would have a clear picture of who Jesus is. It was written to be good news of hope in the Son of God. And so one of the things that I'm hopeful for And that I'm praying for all of us is that we would allow the the description of who Jesus is in Matthew shape how we think about Jesus. And not the other way, where we try to make Jesus look like what we want Jesus to be. So so my prayer as we work our way through the book of Matthew is that our vision of the Savior, our vision of the Messiah, our vision of the King would be what He truly is and truly was. And so today we're going to look at a a passage that, that if you really want to boil it down to a couple of words because you didn't get much sleep last night. Jesus is making a theological declaration here. What he's saying is, I'm the Lord of everything. I'm the Lord of everything. And Lord, we use that kind of in a spiritual sense, but what he means is, I reign over everything. I'm worthy of honor and deference and following in everything. That's ultimately what's going on here. But I don't think you guys came here for me to give a theology lecture, even though I wore my good nerd coat today. Um, But theology done rightly just pushes us to follow Jesus. And so if he's the Lord of everything, then we follow him. If he's the Lord of everything, we yield everything to him. If he's the Lord of everything, we truly trust him to carry us forward in everything. So if you don't walk away from here with anything today, walk away from here with this. 
I need Jesus greatly. And even if I reject that statement, I'm going to look to him to see what that means. If, you can walk, if we can all walk away from here today going, I need Jesus greatly. And I want to trust him. I just believe that the Spirit of God, that, that's, the, that's the beginnings of faith. And the Spirit of God is going to fan that flame and work mightily and powerfully. So, if you don't want to listen to me today, there you go. That's it. But now I want to try my best to persuade you that this is what Jesus is doing in this passage, and this is what Matthew, the author of this gospel, is trying to convey to us in this passage. So as I said, the, the main thrust of this passage is Jesus is the Lord of everything. And as the Lord of everything, we should consider him, trust him, defer to him, follow him, serve him, worship him. So really, this passage is one of those places in the Bible where the chapter breakdowns are unhelpful, okay? So you guys probably all know this, but the chapter and verse numbers, they weren't in the original Bible, okay? Somebody added those. So if, if you rip 12 out and call it 99, it's still true, it's still God's word. Those numbers were just there to help us find things, okay? Could you imagine finding this passage today if we didn't have those headings, you know? Find the passage in Matthew about the Sabbath. Ready? Break. Go. Okay. So, but this is actually one of those places where those, those numbers don't serve us because when we see the numbers, we think new topic, right? At least that's what my mind does. Like I'm, I'm reading a novel. I finish a chapter. I close it up because that's a good stopping point. I'll come back tomorrow and start where I left off. I, we all do that with our Bible reading, right? Whatever Bible reading plan you follow, it's almost always by chapters. That's fine. But this one doesn't help us, and here's why. Let's go back to the end of chapter 11, where we were last Sunday. It says this, Jesus made a proclamation and an invitation, and it's in chapter 11, verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So rest is the optimal word. Jesus is saying, come to me and I'll give you rest, but In that sentence, he doesn't really tell us exactly what that rest means. Do you know why? Because chapter 12 is going to show us what that rest means. Come to me, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what's Jesus just invited them to? Rest. Rest in whom? Him. So he's saying, I offer you a rest that you need. Now, cover up number 12, and let's keep reading. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Jewish culture at that time, what was Sabbath? The day of? Ah, So we see what's going on here now. This debate about Sabbath is not a classroom argument. It's not intellectual hypothetical. It's Jesus saying, let me show you the rest that you really need. It's me not religious rules and regulations. The rest that you need is what I've come to offer, not more rigor like the Pharisees are demanding. 
that's really what's playing out here because we're told they were going through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And then if you just want the, the, the high synopsis, Jesus' disciples offend the Pharisees. The Pharisees question Jesus. Jesus rebukes the Pharisees and says, you know what? Let me just go all the way for the jugular. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Don't question me about the Sabbath. And then he healed a man on the Sabbath to prove that you could do good on the Sabbath. But all of this is to say the rest that Jesus offers those who trust him is not more religious rigor. It's not religious perfectionism. The rest that Jesus offers is himself, the one who cares for and loves and serves his kingdom, his purposes, his people, because he's the Lord of all. So what we have in this passage, there's a dilemma brought to bear, and then there's a declaration from Jesus. So first, if you want to take notes this morning, the dilemma. Now, the dilemma is not for Jesus. The dilemma is for the religious leaders and those who are trying to figure out who Jesus is and what Jesus is up to. And the dilemma was posed when Jesus and his disciples were out on a Sabbath and they were going through some grain fields. And the passage tells us in verses 1 and 2, that Jesus' disciples were hungry, so they plucked some grain from the field, and they ate it. Now, like good individualistic Americans, we might read that and say, Thieves! You stole my grain! The law actually made provision for the sojourner to take a few heads of grain as they passed through your field. So that's not the issue. But there's an accusation leveled against Jesus here in verse 2. The Pharisees, and just in case you're new to the scripture or wonder, the Pharisees were the really stringent religious people. The ones who prided themselves on their rigor and dotting all the I's and crossing all the T's. You know that person? We all have that person in us a little bit, right? So for them, more religious rigor is better because they pride themselves on doing all the things right. They actually had 39 categories with multiple subcategories defining the work that you couldn't do on the Sabbath. Now, some of you are like, man, that makes my head hurt. And some of you are like, oh, I wish that was a spreadsheet. <laughs> but can you imagine a, a relationship with God that was rooted in avoiding all the mistakes that required spreadsheets to parse out? By the way, I think that's the weariness that Jesus was redeeming us from. When he said, come to me and I'll give you rest, he's saying, you don't need a spreadsheet to follow me. You need faith and you need trust. So the Pharisees, with their prequel to the MacBook and their Google Sheets, have out their 39-tabbed document 
And they say to Jesus, Are you aware, O religious one, that your disciples are doing something unlawful on the Sabbath? They are harvesting wheat. We don't harvest on the day of rest. And the implication is that the disciples are guilty and Jesus is guilty of violating the law of God by plucking grain on the Sabbath. So we have this dilemma being posed by the Pharisees. Jesus, are you not a lawkeeper? Jesus, are you not a law promoter? Jesus, are you leading people away from Moses? The implication is that Jesus is is being shown to be a fraud because his disciples would eat on the Sabbath. Now, in typical Jesus form, what plays out is he's going to rebuke them and then he's going to double down. He's going to rebuke them. We'll look at that in a minute. And then he's going to double down. Because we get down here to verses 9 through 14. And Jesus pushes them. They go into the synagogue. And there's a man with a withered hand. A man with a physical malady that would have been understood rightly or wrongly to also have a corresponding spiritual malady. And so Jesus is going to push this question, the dilemma, all the way to its logical conclusion with these questions in verses 10 and 11. So Jesus is at the man with the wearied hand, and they make an accusation again. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Jesus doesn't shy away from the question, but he pushes it. Because in verse 15, he says, So, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? By the way, the spreadsheet said no, just in case you were wondering. It said, come back tomorrow. He's had a withered hand for all these years. What's another day? We'll come back tomorrow. But Jesus is pushing the question beyond what do, we not, what do we need to avoid to please God all the way out to what does God desire? Can we do good that which God desires on the Sabbath? The resounding answer is going to be yes. So Jesus is going to heal the man. He says, stretch out your hand. And the man is healed and healthy like, like his other hand. And the Pharisees are going to leave, verse 14, inspiring against Jesus to destroy him. So the dilemma for the strong, religious, obedient, checklist types is what do we do with Jesus who doesn't seem to be playing by our rules? And then there's the dilemma of of the followers of Jesus of, of how do we balance all of this? How do we make sense 
of all of this? And the answer is our second point, a declaration, a declaration. And so this is the declaration. Jesus says, I'm the Lord of all. And the purpose of the law was never to dot all the I's and cross all the T's so that you could feel religiously elite. The purpose of the law was to know God and to walk in his ways and to be like him. That's the declaration, but we have to work a little bit to get there. So our dilemma, Jesus, why do your disciples break the law by eating, or excuse me, by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? Jesus is going to give them four intellectual rebuttals, and then he's going to make the bold declaration. So, my nerd friends, this is for you. Four intellectual rebuttals that lead to a declaration that's starting to feel pretty robust. Number one, Jesus says, remember David. Remember David. And by the way, I think with these rebuttals, Jesus is just pointing out to the Pharisees that they don't understand the Bible as well as they think they understand the Bible. He's not saying, hey, I just work around the law of God because I don't need the law of God. What he's saying is, you might not understand God's desires the way you think you do. So point one in the case against the Pharisees is remember David. So this is in verses three and following. Jesus said, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Now, that's a synopsis of 1 Samuel chapter 21. And if you go read that this afternoon, what you'll find is the synopsis is correct. David and his men were on the run from Saul. They were hungry. They came to the house of God and they said, do you have any bread for us? And the leader at the house of God said, no, we don't have any of the common bread. We only have the bread of the presence, which was offered as a gift to God and was only for God to eat. But in this moment, the leader gave the showbread the bread of the presence to David. Because in so doing, the purposes of God were furthered. And in so doing, God never rebuked David or never called David a sinner for feeding his men with the bread of presence. So Jesus says, do you remember that story about David? That was on the Sabbath. Second, Jesus says, hey, Do you remember the priests? Now, Matthew really trumps up the language here, but in verses 5 and 6, he says, Have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? So trumped up here, profane the Sabbath. But what Jesus is saying is the priest work They do work. They violate the 39 rules on the Sabbath because God tells them to. 
They violate the rules because it serves the purposes of God. They serve God. They serve God's people on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath principles aren't obeyed in the temple by the leaders of the temple because the temple is about people meeting God. It's about people experiencing the presence of God. So Jesus is simply saying, obedience to God is more important than following your list of the rules. Third, Jesus says, remember God's desires. Remember God's desires. I tell you, this is verse 6 and 7. I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, quote, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. So Jesus quotes from Micah. He actually quotes from Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, and is alluding to Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, where God says, look, I'm not after the perfect sacrifice. I'm after you to worship me and obey me and serve me and be shaped by my relationship to you. I want you to be merciful as I've been merciful. And I want you to love as you've been loved. And I want you to care as you've been cared for. That's all there in Hosea 6 and Micah 6. So Jesus is saying, hey, if if you really understood the law, you would understand that God wasn't after this perfect obedience to all the details, but he was after you and your whole devotion to him in all things. Fourth, Jesus says, remember the provisions in the law for doing good to animals. Remember the provisions in the law for doing good to animals. Now, in our society, this argument is breaking down because we're elevating animals above people. But Jesus' argument is kind of like, if you can do good to the animals, how much more should you be able to do good to humans on the Sabbath? And so this is in verses 11 and 12. Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out. The answer here is they all would have done it because the law made provision for it. By the way, there's that great meme on the internet where the sheep jumps in the hole and the shepherd picks it up and then it jumps back in and the shepherd picks it up. And the sheep. Anybody besides me seen this? Never mind. It says this is what we are spiritually and God's the shepherd. But anyway, I digress. Don't Google it now. You have the whole 1030 hour to do that today. But he says, which of you, if your sheep fell in the pit, wouldn't get it out on the Sabbath? And the answer is you all would because the law made provision for it. And so Jesus simply asked a question in verse 12 of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So 
Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? So Jesus is pushing the Pharisees by saying, you don't understand the law as well as you think you do. You don't understand the desires and the intent and the heart of God the way you think you do. But I'm here to show it to you. So let me just take a tangent here. Our takeaway from these words of Jesus this morning is not, let's just take all of God's regulations and burn them and throw them in the waste can. That is not the takeaway. Nor is the takeaway, let's just trust ourselves to make the right choices. Friends, that's never the Bible's takeaway. But the takeaway is, Jesus came to reveal who God really is, who God, what God truly desires, what God truly wants, and, and this should be a little bit fearful to us here in the South, the religious leaders of the day were found wanting. Let me say that again. The religious leaders of the day were found to be somewhat in That's why I started this sermon by saying we want the vision of Jesus in Matthew to rewrite our vision of Jesus instead of studying Matthew to make Jesus in the image that we want from him. And by the way, in a room this size, we might have 15 or 20 different desired images of Jesus. But the only one that's true is the one that's, that's mapped out in the scripture. So that's what we're seeking after. So when Jesus says, remember David, he's saying, remember God honored David's eating of the showbread. When he said, remember the priest, he's saying, the priest don't keep the Sabbath principles for God's purposes as decried by God. He says, remember, God's ultimate desire is not crossed I's and dotted T's of religious performance, but it's people devoted to the Lord. He says, remember that we're greater than animals, meaning God made provision to do good to animals on the Sabbath. How much more doing good to others? So Jesus is making a robustly biblical argument that his disciples, because they were carrying out his mission, serving him going on his work along with him, obeying the Lord as they obeyed him, he's saying they were completely just to have some grain on the Sabbath. But all of this really pushes to a greater takeaway. And that is the declaration in verse seven, or verse 6. In verse 8. So thus far, all Jesus has reasoned with the Pharisees is he knows the Bible better than them and he's not throwing out the Bible. But now he offers something. Verse 6, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. The temple represented God's presence for his people. It represented the place where God met with his people. And he's saying, because I'm here, something greater than the temple is here. In other places, Jesus is going to say he is God's temple. 
He is the presence of God for the people of God because he's God. And that's verse 8. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite title for himself. He's saying, I am Lord of the Sabbath. I'm over all of the Sabbath provisions because the purpose of all the Sabbath provisions is that you would have rest in God. Not in doing the things or ceasing the things, but you would have rest in God. And so by saying, I'm Lord of the Sabbath, Jesus is ultimately saying, I'm God. I am the God in whom you're intended to find true rest, true peace, true hope, true enduring, true ceasing of striving. Genesis 2 tells us that Sabbath was God's idea. Genesis 2 tells us that that God instituted this idea of Sabbath. Exodus 20 tells us that Sabbath was given to God's people by God himself to give them a longing for God. Leviticus 23 tells us that Sabbath was intended to focus on God. So if Jesus is saying, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, what he's saying is, I'm God. I'm God. I am the Savior, the God, the Redeemer, the grace giver, the hope, the life giver that you need. True spiritual rest is not a day of napping with no cooking. And some of you ladies are like, oh yeah, (laughs) it is. Have you seen the last 10 days in my life? But true spiritual rest is, I no longer have to agonize and posture and strive and claw and fight and wrestle with the uneasiness of have I done enough for God to be satisfied in me? True spiritual rest is Jesus did it all. And he said, come to me, take my yoke upon you. I'll give you that rest forever because I've done everything God requires on your behalf and I give it to you. So when we look at Matthew 12 and we make it a debate about what Christians can and can't do on Sunday, we have taken the good news and punted it right out the side door. There's some good healthy conversations we could have about what it looks like to live as a Christ follower on the Lord's day. But that's not the purpose of this passage. The purpose of this passage is, I, Jesus, have come to free you from the Pharisee spreadsheet. I, Jesus, have come to free you from always trying to do more and wondering if you've done enough to please God. Cling to me, says Jesus. Cling to me. So, in conclusion, as we approach a new year, let's let Matthew 12 tell us this. Jesus is our temple. 
meaning God's presence comes to us through Jesus. So let's run to him. Jesus second is our Sabbath. God's rest from our law-keeping striving comes only through Jesus. And friends, what I would pray for my own soul and for you is that we would realize we can believe that God has rules and be freed from law-keeping striving all at the same time. Jesus is our Sabbath. And third, Jesus is our Lord. If he's the Lord of the Sabbath, and he's the Lord of all, which means he's the one to be served. He's the one to be honored. He's the one to be celebrated. He's the one to be trusted. He's the one in whom we hope. So Jesus is the Lord of all. I'll end this sermon just like I did last week's. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So now, our Father and our God, would you please take these words, and as much as they're right or good, would you cause them to be remembered and believed and bear much fruit? We pray this in Jesus' name.